thoughts. We continue our series on all of these things because of the times we're in, especially where domestic violence is high, where divorce rates are high, where people are having mental breakdowns as singles in difficult situations, and our young people are struggling. We want to talk about legacy. So instead of just saying relationships, we want to say legacy. Because whatever we decide to do as adults, it's a legacy. And we have to see it past ourselves. We can't just see what we're doing attached to us. We have to see what we're doing and how, what that does for generations to come. Let us stand and read a familiar passage in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And we're going to work our way through that today. And sometimes when I teach on this subject, I've heard comments uh, that are not necessary. I don't see myself as a perfect father. My wife is a perfect mother. We just worked at it. And I had the advantage of being in a good home growing up. I do, I tell the men around here all the time, if I lived a bad life, I'm really bad because I grew up in a really good home. And I was blessed that way. And on top of that, I went to seminary and learned a lot of stuff. And on top of that, I decided um, that I will learn this stuff and apply it to the lives of our children. So my wife and I, we just partnership together and worked hard at it, sacrificed a lot for it. But we all know that it's the grace of God, you know, and our kids aren't perfect. So we still have family meetings because we want to have legacy that's good, good. I tell my grandkids all the time, my parents left a legacy, and I will not forget that when I love you. I will not just love you and forget the legacy that I've been blessed with. So when you come to your papa's house, it's about legacy. God has allowed me to live to see this day where I have grandkids. I'm going to study what a grandfather does. There's stuff in the Bible about what a grandfather does, and I'm going to do it. Because you can't have legacy without the person who lives forever directing it. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, so we're going to look at two different passages of Scripture. Proverbs 22, verse 6, he says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Please remember when he is old. <laughs> when he is old. Now, when he's still young. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This is a familiar passages, but I want to break them down so I may get a little technical on you today because you've heard these passages before. So I'm going to get a little technical on you, but if not to, not to wear you out with details, but just hopefully you could stick with it. And I just want to talk through this today more than preach through it today because our kids are representing who we are. I want you to notice something here in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Notice it said parents, right? In verse 2, it says, honor your father and mother. Notice it includes mom, right? Verse 3, it says, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the earth, on the earth, right? It will be well. That means good health, financial success, all these different things, well. And you will have long life. But look at verse 4. Parents, father, parents, father, mother. Verse 4 says fathers. It drops mother, drops parents. Do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you've done so much to condense it so we don't have to carry around a Bible that needs to be brought to church in the trunk. You tried so hard to make this applicable, so I also make it useful. So today, God, because of the huge responsibility we have, we pray, God, that you will guide us and that we'll be humble enough to work forward. Help us not to focus on the past, but to thank you for the present and to trust you for the future. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
There was a gentleman named Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks was a great professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he taught a course called The Christian Home. And I remember sitting in that course, and sitting in that course, uh, pretty comfortable because of the family structure that I grew up in. He said something to me that rattled me, and I listened to the rest of the class because of it. He said at the beginning of the class, if you don't take time to learn about family from a biblical perspective, you will repeat your father and your mother. I'll say it again. If you don't take the time to learn what the Bible says about being a father and a mother, I'm trying to learn now how to be a grandfather. If you don't take the time to do that, you will be your father and your mother. Well, for me, that didn't spark me backwards. It sparked me forwards because he said this. If you don't take that time, the problem with it is that if you repeat your father and your mother, they may have good for you, but your children aren't you. Your mother, your wife has a father and a mother. So if your wife has a father and a mother, she may look at things different. You have a father and a mother, you may look at things different. And at the end of the day, your kids didn't come from your father and your mother. Your kids came from you and your wife who may, be, who may look at things different because of the parental backgrounds, experiences that came, they came from. So if you have no common denominator, kids will make you fight one another. Kids would bring division in your marriage. Kids can by themselves destroy the home. Then he went on to describe kids. So I'm listening because we had just had our first son. Just had our first son. We weren't planning on having kids, but God taught me the minute you have a honeymoon, you're planning. I made them male and female to be fruitful and multiply. God taught me that. That's what I taught my sons. The minute you have your honeymoon, you're planning to have kids. That's just the way it is. So our son was born in August, and I started seminary in September. So it's resonated in my heart simply because I have a month-old child at the house. And for whatever reason, when he was born, I held him in my hand and went, my God, you chose to give my wife and I a child. Because there's a lot of people that don't have children and married for years. Many miscarriages that leaves a lot of pain in those women's lives. But you chose us. God says, I decide when children are born. And he made that so clear because what he did with Sarah was to teach us, I decide when a child has come. So no child is here by accident. We keep saying, you're an accident. Don't tell a child that because no child is here by accident. We may not have been planning, but God was. Because so, every child is a gift from God. He decided that you will be here. He decided that your child will be here. And then he described this child. I'll never forget the description because it sparked in my head. He said, the child is born in sin, shaped in iniquity with foolishness in their heart. That made me go study. What? Because, you know, I got my son in my hand, and I'm tripping that I'm a father. And, you know, so my first son, my first child is a boy, so I'm, I'm doing all kind of things. He's going to play soccer. He's going to do all this stuff, you know, a 24-year-old would think. And he just described my child as a sinner, depraved, and a fool. And that was not comfortable for me because I'm sitting there going, no, man, what's wrong with you? And I decided, no, I'm going to study this thing to see if he's right. And sure enough, the Bible says foolishness. It's not who the child just is. Foolishness is wrapped up in the heart of the child, meaning the impulses of the child, the desires of the child will be foolish. They wouldn't think to do something that is wisdom. They wouldn't think to do something that is wise, biblically strong, focused on obeying the will of God. None of those things. They would think to be totally opposite. And then when I start studying a fool, the Bible says a fool doesn't like knowledge. A fool, a fool does hates correction. A fool likes to quarrel. A fool is not interested in wisdom. So I said, I got a job. So I started realizing, and then I started studying more and realized the example is right there. 
You have right at the beginning of mankind, Cain and Abel. You had a, a man who was walked with his brother in the fields, with his brother in the fields. We don't know if that's 100 years, 200 years, 300 years they were together. We don't know because they, Adam lived to 900 and something years. So they could have been brothers for a century. And then he woke up and he killed his brother in the fields. And he goes to worship service against the will of God. God showed us right then when sin came into the world, it brought a fool that is born in sin, shaped in iniquity with a foolishness in their hearts. And David even taught us. He said, David says, listen, man, even when I'm grown and seeking to do the will of God, I didn't get all the foolishness out of me. I ended up raping a woman and killing her husband. So David looks at his life, and when he, when he deals with that sin that he, he de dealt in his life, he said, in sin I was conceived. David came to the realization that I could be an adult, and if this stuff doesn't get work completely out of me, even when I am walking with God, I could still behave like a fool. I could still be in iniquity. I could still function this way. So guess who I need every day? The Lord is my strength and my shield. and my. So David got himself wrapped up more into God because he realized without God, I am nothing. So when we have a child, the child is born this way. God allowed a child to be born to adults who are supposed to be walking in God. Why does he say that? He said, in, I, I made them male and female in my image. So the parents, before they have children, are supposed to be Christ in the church. Marriage is Christ in the church. So that they could take this child, they have the capability of taking this child that is a fool and born in sin and iniquity and take this child and move this child from sinfulness to righteousness because they have experienced it first. That's the paradox that sits before us and we tend to take children, stick them in school and think, well, they're doing good. They got straight A's. We tend to bring them home and, oh, they're an obedient child and they always say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. You don't see them at school. Children will say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I've seen known of kids when I was a youth minister who would dress like a nun at the house and go trade clothes out in the restroom at school to look a different way at school, put the clothes back on in the restroom and catch the bus. I was a youth minister. I've known that. Kids would get them clip-on earrings because their parents didn't want the earrings. And they do all of that at school and then they come home. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. We tend to believe that we would stick them at the house and they say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, do the dishes, do all these things. At school, they're making straight A's. We bring them to church. We put them in the youth group or children's ministry and we got the right structure. Everything is good. And they still grow up to be a fool. So understand, God has a structure. And I promise you, I'm no better than you. I just trusted the structure. Here is the structure because we are the shapers. We are the shapers. We have to shape this child to be what God wants them to be because they are born in sin, shaped in iniquity with foolishness wrapped up in their hearts. That's why the Bible talks about we are the shapers. We just don't have them to dress them up and they look cute. We don't just get to dress them up and make them great singers or great athletes or great this. We get so excited. Oh, he is such a great football player. Yeah. But if he's making foolish decisions, it's better for him to be a man that is a football player than to have a fool that's a football player. That the Bible is telling us because a fool is a football player makes millions and is broke at the end. That's why the Bible is saying, be a shaper. Be a shaper. Be a shaper. How are we a shaper? And folks, it doesn't stop. I'm learning how to be a parent for adult kids. I'm learning. It's hard sometimes to shut your mouth. It is so hard. They're talking to you, and you're going, man, that ain't going to work. And so it makes you pray and go to lunch and sit back and create conversations. And they don't know you're creating conversations to get to communicate what you're thinking. And God, how do I provide wisdom? Because there's no correction here. I can't take them in the back room and whip them. I got to find a way to create wisdom in their hearts. 
show that they don't make the mistakes I made. So I'm learning how to do that because I'm a shaper. I never forget a pastor. I was landed somewhere. I can't remember where. I landed somewhere, and my son was blowing me up, and I was trying to be polite to the guy in the car. And I, he said to me, he says, what's that? I said, oh, I got to pick up my phone. My son is calling me. I don't know why he's blowing me up. He's grown now. That man said, I need to talk to you after you finish that call. So I, I picked up the phone, and I'm talking to him, and he's asked me for advice and so on and so on. Phone call lasted a good 20 minutes or so. We're not too far from the hotel, and he said, the mistake I made was I bought into the American structure that because they got to a certain age, they're grown. And my kids who did well until they were young adults went left because I got out of their life thinking they're grown. Man, don't ever do that. They're not grown until you're gone. I took that pastor's advice and stayed in my kid's life. Because it's never done. You would never stop being a parent. You just move from being a parent to an advisor. And still sometimes they call me and say, Dad, you're being a parent. Yep. Because that's just not making any sense, hon. So sometimes you can't turn it off. I must admit, Pierre will tell you. He just got you saying it in the service, second service. I, gotta, I always ask him, did you land safely? Dad, I told Monica... I'm still your dad. Tell me. So I'm still learning. Because he said, because he, he told them over there, he says, yes, he's like mad and I ain't did nothing. So yeah, technically he didn't do nothing because he did tell his wife. So technically he didn't do nothing wrong. But to me, I got a wife sitting up here asking me like she don't have a phone. Did he make it? Did he make it? In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, he says this. He says, and I want you to walk with me today. I'm not going to preach, preach today simply because I want us to learn this structure. I want us to learn this structure. So walk with me today. He says, train up. He's not suggesting it. He's commanding it. In the, in the Hebrew text, it's an imperative tone, meaning I am commanding you that you don't have a right but to do this. The minute you have a child, you have lost your right to decide what you do with this child because I brought this child into the world, so therefore technically it's my child. I'm letting you raise, so I'm commanding you to train. Now the word train doesn't mean just I whip you here, I whip you there, because he's talking about discipline. He didn't say correction first. He said train first. Correction comes later. Correction is, in the Bible, is actually a safe valve. You know, what I mean by that is, if a child, after discipline, is still going to keep doing the same thing wrong over and over again, then correction is necessary. But if discipline is done up front, there's less correction. So I'm going to get there in a minute. But we tend to think correction is, is discipline. No, 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 no. Discipline re either removes correction or makes it very necessary. He says, train. That's why some kids grow up bitter, because the minute they do something wrong, blah, 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 blah. So they grow up bitter and resentful, because they weren't disciplined when they were being corrected. So that's why he says, train. Now, the word train in the Bible, yes, it is a command that we train, but it also is saying to us that the person is, needs to be narrowed into a, into a path. That's why it ends up being the way they shall go. What he's saying is, there's a path already there for the child, and you need to get the child disciplined enough to get to that path so the child gets to that path and is disciplined to stay in the path. That's why you're training them to do. Let me give you for instance. I know you all are Texan fans, so you're looking at the news in great hopes again, in spite of the fact it's been 30 years and you don't want nothing. But it's okay. You, you know, that's keep hope alive. But, you know, they, Texans, I was looking at the news and, and the sports people were on and they were talking about this linebacker that they have. And he's just, oh, we have Cushion, we have Demetri Ryan, and now we got this guy, he is like a linebacker. You know, we got Mercy and we're like a linebacker now. Well, why is he in camp? He's been playing linebacker probably since Pee Wee football. 
He played it in high school probably. He's a big guy. He's 6'1", 260 pounds, I think they said, or 240 pounds, which means in NFL it's muscle, not, you know, <laughs> we got 240 pounds a different way. But it's, so it's all muscle. So this guy is strapping and he's fast. My son used to play running back. He said those are the worst linebackers because they're as fast as the running back. They're the worst. So you can't outrun them. So they're explaining him, but why do they have him in all these camps? They have him in all these camps because they have to train him to their system. And they got to get him into the rookie camp, and they got to get him into this camp, and they got to make sure he's stay healthy. So they're going to have walkthroughs and put him in film rooms and make sure he sees the film and make sure he understands how the film works. And it's a whole new coach, a whole new system. They got to spend weeks upon weeks upon weeks upon weeks upon weeks, and then it takes them another two years to get him to where they want him because they trained him to be a linebacker. It's a narrow process. What God is saying is that every child has an ability. You see this with the person when you have to do with the five talents, two talent, one talent. In the five talent, two talent, one talent, he gave them based on their ability. So a child is going to have an ability. So a lot of times we sat back and I studied this. We started saying it. Matter of fact, Dr. Judy helped us. when we, I called her I said, Paul has a, a knack for, for science and math. That could, that could move him more towards being a doctor. And we're watching his ability in the schoolhouse attached to what he has a knack for. Does he have a knack for arguing philosophically? Does he have a knack for, for, for just science and math? Does he have a knack for, for Pierre had a knack for just like we thought he's going to be an engineer. Every time we put him in a room, he's fixing things and taking them apart. So we said, okay, we're going to put him in this, this program they had at the junior college for small kids, and we put him in that program. What are we trying to do? Find out what he has an ability for. So once he has that, learned that ability, so we're studying them. They think we're playing with them, but we're studying them. We put them in a room, we come peeking the door. We're studying them because we know that God made them with that uh, our ability for a knack that they're going to work towards, a niche they're going to work towards. So th that's what he's saying. He's saying, first find out what I gave them that ability for. The best training ground for that is the schoolhouse. He said, that's a good place to go. That's the place we went. But we also looked at it in the house. We saw temperaments. One child seems to be passive, so we got to work on that because he could be a follower. One child likes to be the, 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 the star of the party. So we got to make sure he don't have the wrong party. So we see what they are like and what the tendencies are like. And therefore, we're always gathering around our older son. We invite the football team. They think we like, they liked us. And all this other, man, we like going to your parents' house. They're cool. They got pizza. They got all this. We just wanted to know who will he bring. And who are the, what kind of persons are they? Because we want to learn since he has this outgoing personality, what party is he in? So since he came with that personality trait, Pierre came with a more reserved personality, what does that mean? He's saying, I already gave them these personality traits. I already gave them these aptitudes for different things. And you need to learn it. And then you need to narrow that. So that by the time the child, and I remember my older son going to college and he says, Dad, I don't want to be a doctor. It hurt my feelings because we have medicine in our family background, my grandfather. So, I, I, you know, I got a little, <laughs> but I said, no, son, what do you have a knack for? That I like math, I like business, I want to do business. Go ahead and do that. He says, you serious? No discussion? No. He could figure that out in the first year because we were constantly working on it for 18 years. So it didn't take him two and a half years to do it because we've been working on it for 18 years. He said the child could decide it in his first year to have a knack for that. And the reason why it was quick, because his mother has a knack for business. And the influence of the parent will come on the child. I made you in my image to be fruitful and multiply. What is he multiplying? The image. So that's why the shapers have the authority as a matter of fact, in Roman culture, they can take the child and kill the child because they had absolute authority. In Jewish culture, they could take a disobedient child that wouldn't listen, correction is taking place, still wouldn't listen, take them outside the city, and the city would stone the child because they had complete authority. So that's why he's saying, I gave you so much authority, I let you name the child. Why is that? In the Garden of Eden, God said, 
Adam, this is your name. But he told Adam to name Eve. Naming somebody means that you are over them. So the fact that the parents can name the child is a statement that God is, God is saying you're over them. This is why when Moses would say, God, give me your name. What did he say? I have no name. There's nobody over me. So that's why by just naming the child, he's giving us the authority to shape them to this narrow path. When the child gets saved, they automatically get a spiritual gift. So now... We have to learn what that spiritual gift is and shape it to that, to that gift. So, yeah. You know, I tell my son all the time. I say, son, you could help a lot of young entrepreneurs at Living Word because you have a knack for that. Pierre, I could see he, every time he wants a summer job. I want to go to Forest Glen to go to work this summer. Go. But they don't pay that much. You're still under our roof. Go. Why? That's what his spiritual gift was for. So you're trying to figure out when they're saved, what is that spiritual gift? Then you shape them to it. That's why he's saying there's a narrow path. I need you to take them to that narrow path and you be the shaper. So train them. Be the coach with the linebacker. Now, that's why he gave us that much authority. Like a potter with clay. Now, now, now watch this for a minute. He says, train a child. You know, uh, some, some of us have four of them at one time, so it does make it hard. He says it's a lot easier to, to be a child. Okay? So train a child. And, and, and I want you to notice too, when he said ah. Okay, it's not the child. The child would be Christ. Okay, the begotten son. Train a child. What is he saying? When I started studying this more and more, and you see larger families, the middle child could be the worst problem. I was the middle child. So I can testify. Okay? Even though I was in a family of eight, it was the, I, I was between the youngest girl and the youngest boy. And with four sisters, my youngest, my, my brother, he was like the family mascot. They would buy him socks and shoes and they run around. Come, Joey. The girls look at him like a baby and they'll be hugging on him. I'm just like there. Like, I didn't matter. Okay? Because Joey to the girls who are, when I was born, they're 12 and 13. So my brother is the baby. And he's like a baby to these girls that are growing up. Changing his pamper and all that. To me, oh, Paul. I ain't going to tell you my nickname. Don't worry about it. I got everybody paid in my family. So Paul, hey, come here. Do this. Pick this up. Go over here. Get this. Feed the pigeons. Get the chickens taken care of. I'm like, y'all got another name around this family with 10 people in it? No. So that's why I started learning I'm independent. I tend to not even look for anybody to do anything for me. Because I'm that middle child that just did what I had to do. Whereas my brother's saying, hey, Paul, you coming over to help me? I don't think about help. I think about who to help. So that's why he's saying you can't just have five kids and forget a child. So sometimes when we have a lot of kids, what do we do? The oldest child runs everything. They cook, they clean, they this, they that. By the time they get married, they ain't want no children. Because they have to do everything. And that's why the Bible is careful to say, think about a child. Don't just have a bunch of kids and just tell them, oh, I got a bunch of kids, I need some help. You do this. No, you have to focus on one child at a time. One child. And that's why sometimes, you know, my kids would, think I got favorites and all that stuff, and I tell them no. I tell them, remember what I did to y'all one day when you were accusing me of that? I said, what did I do? I don't know if they remember. I put them on the top bunk, and I said to them on the top bunk, I said, get down from the top bunk. They said, Dad, you know, you know this. I said, no problem, no problem, problem. I want you to go up on the top bunk. I want you to get down from the top bunk. Paul climbs down the ladder meticulously. Pierre just jumps. I said, y'all are different. 
So I can't love you the same. Because I have to train you based on how God designed you. And I'm a shaper. That's why he says this. In the way he should go. Notice it's not the way you're going to make him go. The way he should go. In other words, Paul, you're going to be the medical doctor. My mom used to say that all the time. I got chemistry. I used to irritate the socks off of me. My friends got, them days they had six shooters. Double six shooters mean you bad. Cowboy hat. All this stuff. My mom gave me a chemistry set. In my neighborhood, you get beat up for that. I couldn't tell anybody that I had a chemistry set. I literally couldn't. I would go outside and say, man, what you got for Christmas? Uh, you know, I got some. It's not until my brother, my little brother, you know, he's, he's, got, he's, he's loved by everybody. Oh, he got a chemistry set. You got a chemistry set? You're a nerd. I got the whole list of descriptions of the negativity of having a chemistry set. And then my mother made me sit there and do experiments with the chemistry set. And the minute I got into it, I was gone. And she would tell everybody, leave him alone, leave him alone. Because I was having stuff smoking in the house. Hey, what you smoking the house with? You know, he got seven other siblings around there. What is he smoking the house with? We could all be dead in here. Good. That's what I would say. <laughs> Not like y'all notice I'm here anyway. And I have a good time with it. And I realized that is my bent. See, but I never became a medical doctor, which... which she told me bluntly, I said, Mom, I, I, I got a doctorate. It's not the doctor. <laughs> I broke my heart. I'm, I can literally see her face right now at the table, fixed breakfast, trying to show her love and stuff. And I said, Mom, you ought to be proud now. I finished the doctorate. She looked me dead in the eye. I said, but you're not a medical doctor. Man, I wanted to grab that plate, but I, my mother never understood the word. He's grown. She'd reach across that table, backhand, bow. So my mother never heard the word groan. i never forget that. She'd call and preach to me. This is what you need to do with your kids. <laughs> remember, the, remember the story of Hannah and Samuel? Trained. Okay? That's why he says this. The way. What does he mean by the way? Now, now, now folks, another thing I want to say about child, I got to speed up here. Another thing I want to say about child is, a child in their day is subservient to the parent. So you never want to have a child feel like they've grown at 10. You mess it up. A child must stay subservient to the parent so you have the authority to groom them. I see some parents got kids talking at 6 like they're grown. I ain't doing that. I don't know what y'all talking about. I'm bouncing around. I'm going, oh, no, no, no. Did you just do that? And I got to hold myself in the grocery store like, okay, um, what you want for this? I got to move on. I saw a five-year-old talk to his mother like, like she, she, that was his date. I'm serious. No, I said I wanted this. Why are you giving me this? You're going, uh, let me go to the store. Because <laughs> a parent took over in me. You know, that's like, so some people want a friend so bad that they quit parenting. And that's why he's saying a child. A child must remain a child in order to shape them. The minute you start raising them up to be an adult while you're trying to train them, they're not going to accept the training when you think they are. They just don't want a whipping, so yes, sir, yes, ma'am. But they're going to be what they want to be because they know they have you in their clutches. I see this many times with girls and fathers. Girls and fathers, they just get away with anything. No, daddy. Okay, daddy. Hey, daddy. And they just got the daddy going in the circles. So understand, the Bible is saying, don't, for, for when my kids were growing up, they were a child. The word means they're subservient to you and they serve you. So you never stop them from serving. So I'll make them take a dinner to the table for mom. No, she cooked. You could take the dinner. You could take her water. 
You could do this. Because I kept them, no, 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 you got chores. I don't took, didn't take away chores. But I don't like taking out the trash. I didn't ask him how you feel about it. I don't like buying you clothes and not myself. Okay? I don't ask how you like it. I'm saying take out the trash. Mow the yard. This is your taxi cab. Clean it. Wash the car. Okay? Understand. Why am I doing this? Sometimes I'm out there washing the car. Sometimes I'm out there helping with, the, with, with, with uh, doing the edging. But at the end of the day, they have to keep them subservient and have to keep them serving in order to have the authority to train. Don't bring them up to walk aside of you too fast because then they will not go in the way. They'll go in their way. Now, what does he mean by way? Watch it carefully, folks. You got to watch this verse carefully. I know you've heard this verse before, so I'm going to be real meticulous with it, but I got to speed up. He says, the way. If you start saying the way, guess what? There ain't too many ways. It's an article in front of way. So that means he's not talking about train them up in the way we ought to go. You know, he's saying train them up in the way that they ought to go, they should go. Meaning you can't make them saved. You can't make them accept the Bible. You can't make them come to a point where they're walking in wisdom when they're a fool. You can't make them not be as sinful or sinless as they need to be. You can't make that happen. That's a heart issue. So you at least could show them the way. I learned this, man. I ran in my, well, our bedroom, and I, my wife probably thought I lost my mind. I ran in there, and I said, oh, my God, we got to get these kids saved. What? We supposed to do that? No. We got to get them saved. <laughs> and she's going, okay, well, you know, we're supposed to get them saved. So, no, 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 no. If we could disciple our children, then they will be in God's way. Then the Spirit of God could now move them to be what he wants them to be. So now we're more, we're going from shapers to guiders because the Spirit of God lives in them. That's why he's saying the way. In other words, you can't understand the Word of God until you have God in you. So if they get saved, I don't mean I force them to be saved. Here's a trick I learned. Let's look learn. If you win at the heart of a child, they will listen to your mind. But you must win their heart first. How do you do that? I like soccer. Okay, let's go play soccer. You know, I want to buy a truck. Okay, let me teach you budgeting, and we're going to go buy a truck. Oh, the truck broke. Let me help you fix it. Whatever became their passion, whatever they like doing, whatever makes them have fun, whatever makes them excited, that there's nothing wrong with it, get into it. People thought, man, you just love football. No, no, I'm, I'm a soccer player. Well, why are you always into football? Because my son is. I'm not a football player. I have to learn it. So you had practices. You had this. Yeah. Because when he, in practice, he gets into a fight, we could talk about, let, let's talk about that fight. But that what you think, man, I study this thing and think as a, as a free safety, you need to do this. As Pierre, man, they got you all over this field. We got to figure out how to get you off this field sometimes because they, you're going to get you killed. Because the coach, I talked to the coach, the coach says, hey, Pierre's not afraid of nobody. I said, you serious? I said, yeah. That's what, I said, why do you have a five foot four kid, 100 and maybe 30 pounds running up against a linebacker that is 6'1", 240 pounds? He said, because he's the only kid on the team and afraid to hit him. I said, my kid that dumb? <laughs> but Pierre would run up and block the kid and actually block him. He says, because he's not thinking that he could lose, he wins. So you have him as a three back, not a four back. Are you serious? But because I got to know the coach through talking with him about my oldest son, I could talk to him about the youngest son. I was not a football player. It was his passion. I got into his passion. The only one I missed on is Pierre loved baseball. I never got there. It was the most boring sport to me. You're waiting for somebody to hit the ball. And if the pitcher is really good, nobody hits. So there's no fun just sitting there going, strike. Okay, we already knew that. So that part hurt me because we would go to baseball games and my wife and I would be sleeping on each other's shoulder. 
okay? I, it hurt me because he actually liked baseball. He liked fishing. So we would go to, I decided we ain't going to no big old ocean. We're going to go and find fishing ponds that have fish in them. So at least we catch something. But we would go and we would find these fishing ponds off of 290. My wife would research it. We'll go there and we know we could catch something and we still didn't catch nothing. We knew fish was in that pond. They dug a hole in it and they put fish in it and they feed the fish. You know you could catch a fish there. We still didn't catch one, but Pierre did. Why? Because he liked fishing. I don't like fishing. I think best fishing is at Kroger's and, and, and Futon. That's the best fishing. I don't want to go sit and hope this fish bite something. Give me a net, not a hook. So I don't want it. But because he did, I'm standing there going with these Mickey Mouse, because we're so broke, Mickey Mouse hooks. We lose most of the fish we catch because they break the rod. See, understand, when you win their heart, they listen to the mind. That's why he starts off with training before he goes the way. The way is getting into their hearts. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm about to run out of time. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Come on, come on, y'all. Let me teach this today. Let me teach this today. All right? Football game isn't on. Basketball game is till 7 o'clock. And uh, I'm praying for Boston Celtics. I'm praying, but I'm hoping they win. I'm going for the Celtics. Y'all don't be hating. I don't, I don't, I don't, I eat curry chicken. I don't watch curry chicken shoot three-point. So don't, don't be messing with me. I'm going for Boston. I'm a Rocket fan, but I'm going for Boston. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The, one is, he, the, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your what? Heart. That's how you get it to their heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk to them when they sit in the house, when they walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. We laid in the beds with them when they were young, just listening to them. When they lie down, when they raise up. We didn't always have devotions at the dining room table. Because he said when they walk in the way. When you, when you lie down. So we didn't sit at the table and say, we're going to have devotions today. Some of the kids will go, oh, really? So we start realizing the minute we say devotions at the table, they're just like, uh-huh. And then this seminary student wants to talk about Taladat. My wife had to say, let me teach you early childhood learning stuff. So I had to learn from my wife how to teach kids. So I decided this dining room table, blah, 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 blah. They make a kid quote verses, but we get his heart. So let me go in the way when they lie down, when they interact. Do the same thing with my grandson. He talks about a grandfather in verse 2. So that you, you, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God. So I still have responsibility as a grandfather. doesn't turn that off. So he's saying, he says, he says this is how you do it. Oh, I like that. This is how you do. Okay, this is a sermon. Okay. He says, <laughs> you shall bind them on a, a sign on your hand. In other words, you don't forget you're a trainer ever. You're not stopping being a trainer. Even when they're grown, you're still a trainer. Because they're raising kids. They're buying homes. They're doing things. Still be a trainer. You just don't have the authority to make them do it. That's why he's saying the way. Stay with me. Stay with me. The way. The way. So the Bible is saying when we are sitting down with them, it may be a practical issue you're teaching biblical concepts to. Let, let, let me pick on Pierre for a minute since he talk about my business all the time. Pierre came home, and I don't know what got into him. I don't know if it was college or whatever. He came home and says, Dad, you think I should marry Monica? So I, 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 he doesn't even remember this moment, but I remember it. I could even tell him he was standing at the pantry, and we were both at the pantry trying to figure out what to eat so we don't bug mom, since we both can't cook. So we figured it out. And he says, yeah, 
that I had moved to the counter. I could literally see this. And he asked me, should I marry Monica? I said, do you want a wife or do you want a woman? Which one do you want? He says, come on, man. The reason why he could say that is because I said to them, the Bible says if a man finds a wife, not a woman, you can find a woman any day. But you have to find a wife. So since Monica is a wife, what you talking about? That's the way. You want to look at the hip size and the rest of the sizes? And God is saying, at the end of the day, that stuff moves down the road. <laughs> I'll leave it alone to your imagination. So it is better to look for a wife that you have a physical attraction to, because the Bible says it's got to be male and female, so there's a physical attraction. You have a physical attraction to you, but don't make that the holy thing because she, you need somebody of character, somebody that likes family, somebody that likes raising kids, somebody that doesn't find the home to be offensive as something she's committed to. You need to find somebody that lines up to this Proverbs 31. If you don't find somebody that even have an inkling for that, a love for God, and don't marry somebody to become the church and you're trying to be Christ because she's not a wife. So son, that's the way. So he married Monica because that was the way that he will go, that he should go. So you can't get into go if you don't know the way. Okay? I told you all the story of uh, landing in Chicago and... The pastor called me. He said, man, I'm sorry. He says, uh, I said, what's up, man? You all right? He goes, yeah, man, but uh, I got a problem. I said, what? He said, man, I forgot my kid at a game. I said, remember and go. He said, but you are a guest. No, remember and go. Said, are you serious? He said, yeah. I said, remember and go. He said, man, could you, you got funds for a taxi? He said, yeah, I got funds for a taxi. Man, you go to your son's game. Your son don't even know me. Go to your son's game. He says, Kenny's your short. I said, man, that's what I would do. I'll send somebody to pick you up, and I'm at my kids go. Because at my kids' game, I always told Living Word when they came to my kids' game, I'm a father. So don't be coming there looking for pastoral responses. Yeah, go! My wife got a pom-pom. I got, we were so broke, we just took rocks, put them in a Coke can, and rattled a Coke can. <laughs> somebody came all the way down and said, Pastor Kenny's, I didn't know y'all going like that. I am a parent. I'm going to fire this up. Hey, man, that's your goal, man. There it is. Do it. Tackle him. It's funny how my wife was, though. When he was playing running back, I can't believe you got our child out there. When he started playing defense and free safety and tearing people up, hit him. What? That's somebody else's child. Hit him, man. Hit him. That is, okay. It's messed up. See, I caught that. <laughs> I um, got in a taxi, gave the guy, I think, 50 bucks or 75 bucks back in them days. And the guy says, hey, man, let me refund you that money. I said, oh, yeah, don't worry about it, man. What was it? How much was it? 50 or 75 bucks. What? I go, what, what's wrong? That hotel, you could have walked to it. I didn't know Chicago, so this man took me on a ride, and I'm going, oh, that's nice. I didn't know they had a, a, like a lake going through downtown Chicago. I didn't know they had that. Oh, that's nice, man. That's good. He said, yeah, look at the waterfront. Oh, man, it's not too far from downtown. I had a tour because I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know the way. Many of us, when we come to parenting, we're following the parents we had or the things they did wrong in our eyes or the things they did right in our eyes, and we're trying to do that. And the Bible is saying, we can't do that. We need to learn the way or we are sending them in a place they shouldn't go. And it gets expensive. Lawyers, court fees, extra lessons. So that's why he says this. Speeding up ain't working, so I'm going to finish. He says this. When, when he is old, watch this carefully, he will not depart from it. What well, that verse has messed up a lot of people. When he's old, he will not. Well, my child got old, and they ain't doing what I said. 
Were they in the way? Follow me. When a child is saved and the Holy Spirit is fully deposited into them and they have an aptitude for the word of God and they now want to learn it, they want to walk in it, and they want to do what God says because you train them that way, how are they not going to stay in that way? The Holy Spirit will convict them when they go a different way. The word of God will change their hearts to go in a different way. Because because of what we deposited that is the way, they can't help but stay in it. But if a child is not in that way, when they get older and they know they're older, they're going to say peace to you. Because they went away, but they went somewhere, but it wasn't the way. That's why he's saying they cannot depart from it. Because you train them to have this and to accept Christ. And then you disciple them to walk in Christ. Then you disciple them to do the things of God. And because they're now in love with God and have the same heart you have, there's no way they can get out of it. We tend to think, well, I told them the right thing. They went to school, and I made them get A's. And I made sure they were polite at the house. And I made sure they went to church, so they should be doing right. And the Bible going, no, no, no. That's why they're not going right. They're not going right because you didn't teach them the way. And when the way is taught, they can't go wrong. Because my way is the way, the truth, and the life. So that's why. I got to do one word in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Walk with me. Give this old man a chance. Ephesians chapter 6 is the key word to this. Discipline. The key word to this is, is what I call the call to duty. What is the call to duty? The call to duty is discipline. And that's why you can't provoke you can't provoke because you lose discipline. Let me give you a quick ways in which you could provoke a child. Real quick. Overprotection. It's in your bulletin, in your notes. I'm not going to read it. When you overprotect the child, you provoke. He didn't say provoke the child. He said provoke the child to anger, but anger comes out in a lot of different ways. We talked about anger before we talked about this. So I need to go back to anger. Okay? Anger could be passive-aggressive. A child could show you they're passive-aggressive in that you told them to make their bed, and you told them to make their bed, and you told them to make their bed, and they ain't made it yet. If they made it, they took the blanket and put it over the bed, and they never made it. They're passive-aggressive. They're making you mad, angry, and you're fussing, and you're going on because they control you that way because they can't control you another way. So they're passive-aggressive because that way I could put you where you don't want to be because I'm where I don't care to be. So they get parents arguing with one another. So they can sit back and watch the parents until one parent said, at the end of the day, this ain't your child anyway. Boom, I got them. So anger comes out all kind of ways. And it works the parent. That's why children will divide to conquer. They get two parents fighting. Because they know they're going to win. Especially if the mother's on their side. And that mother goes shut that bedroom down. All right, son, you can go away to the mall if you want. So the child knows. The child knows. That's why he's saying fathers. The one who begins this process, why he uses the word father. You begin this. Do not provoke your children to anger. Provoke is, here's the four ways, here's the five ways. Overprotection. Child can't go nowhere. Child can't go nowhere. Second, and it's in your notes, in the bulletin. Favoritism. Esau and Jacob, you saw what that did. These are my children. These are your children, especially in a blended family. Favoritism. Provoke children. He says, discouragement. Oh, I hate this one. We used to, we used to make a point to compliment our kids on so much stuff because we knew the time was going to come when we got to correct them. So, oh, man, you, you picked your clothes really good today. You look really nice going to school. That's a good selection of clothes. You know? Son, you did a good job with these dishes. I do the same thing with my grandkids. My granddaughter walks in. Oh, you are so gorgeous, girl. Give me a hug. You're beautiful. Papa. I don't care what them... Okay, forgive me. I did use the Negro word. God forgive me. 
I don't care what they say. You're my granddaughter. You're awesome. You're beautiful. But the granddaughter played for me yesterday, her piano. And I called her back because I want to make a point not to just hug her. I want to call her back. Baby, I missed that recital. Thanks for giving me one. You are awesome. My grandson said he wanted to play basketball with me. I said, so long we stick with my rule. You can't call a foul on your papa. I could foul you as much as I want. You can't call a foul on me. But I could call a foul on you. That's the papa rule. I'm good. I'm going to still beat you. He beat me bad. 15 to 7. So he sent a text to the whole family. I demolished him. Hey, that's, that's like really exaggeration, but it's okay. So I, he wanted one more game, horse. And I found me a spot that I could hit, and he kept missing. I won. I said, two and one. He just looked at me. He says, man, that's horse. See, why? Why, 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 why are we doing that? Because there's times going to come, and I'm going to look at him and say, you're wrong for that. That's why the Bible is saying, encourage them, build them up. Say wonderful things about them. Say when they're happy. Because when the time comes for correction, they can hear it. The only time sometimes kids hear from us is correction. You did it again! Go in the room! That's the only time they hear us. This says, do not neglect them. Absalom is a good story how his father neglected him. And it messed him up. Bitterness, bitter words. You're so ugly. You're so dumb. We say things like that to our kids. The Bible is saying when you say bitter things, it provokes. So those five things that are in your bulletin, don't do them. They're like off the radar for my wife and I. Never would do them. And I said, never, we didn't do them. As often maybe. I can't remember every word. But here's the key thing I want you to remember. Discipline. Discipline. Stay with me. Discipline. 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 Did you hear me? Discipline. Not correction first. Discipline. That's why he says don't provoke discipline. He doesn't say don't provoke correction. He said don't provoke and discipline. Discipline is making that linebacker go to every practice, making that linebacker run every play, making that linebacker go to every film room, every film that they have on him to do what he needs to do. Every, every time they sit down, there's a coach talking to him. Discipline. When he messes up, run the field. When he, when he, when he does right, that's it. That's it. Discipline. Until that linebacker says, hot. Boom, hits the play perfectly every time without thinking. It's instinctive. Boom, discipline. When there's discipline, there's less need for correction. Less need. Why? And when the child is corrected, the child knows I deserve it. Because they told me and they taught me and I still did wrong. So what, what happens with correction? It's on the child's life, not yours. Because a child knows that they, they, they told me to do my homework. They, they got me tutors. They did all of this stuff. And then I went and got an F. So now I deserve this. Because what a child recognizes, it's my behavioral pattern that led us this way. Not their behavioral patterns that led me to have a good whipping. And that's why the Bible is saying discipline because you're building into the child's character. And when you build into the child's character, the child even starts to grow older so strong that they can't help but stay in the way. So that's why discipline comes before correction in the Bible. I'll tell you today, be a shaper. The problem with a sermon like this is some people, some people look back on their past and they think it's over. It's never over. It's never over. You have something that nobody else has, a parent that raised your child. Nobody has that credit. You do. My oldest brother made some decisions my mom didn't agree with. And if you knew what they were, you would probably not agree. But my mom never forgot that nobody has what she has. 
She's his mother. Ain't nobody could ever come to the corner of that street because she is his mother. And when he, she walks in the room, that's mama. I still got a chance. Anytime you're serving God, you never look at something that can't be fixed because you're serving God. And God could do anything when he finds an agent to get it done. So you never see something as impossible because God says all things are possible with him. Don't look at the problem. Focus on the process. And the problem will be just to come a speed bump you drive over. Let us stand.